Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's Thanksgiving, and we all know what that means. Football! And nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. BetOnline has you covered all holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with the promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is NFL Monday for week number 12 in the NFL. Smaller week because of, you know, buys and Thanksgiving and all that stuff. I do have stuff to talk about with the Bills, but we'll, we'll save that for another podcast because this is an NFL Monday, which means we talk about the NFL Sunday. So anything and everything in between, whether it be Lincoln Riley or transactions in baseball or whatever else, those get pushed to the side because this is NFL Monday where we talk about all 11 games that go down on Sunday, either here or or on the Memes of the Weekend podcast, which you can check out above the episode on this feed, or maybe you're coming here after listening to Memes of the Weekend. All of that to say, we're going to cover all the games here. We got about seven or eight lined up for this one, and uh, we're just going to roll right into it. So let's hit that music, because the first game is the game you all expect us to talk about, and we're going to talk about it. And the team that won has a lovely theme song, so we're going to play that for you right now. is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good. As far as this weekend, as far as training camp, we will see... There's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers' camp, and, and that's, I don't want to be here. So yeah, the Green Bay Packers versus the Los Angeles Rams. It was the game of the week coming in. It's the game of the week on the way out, and the Green Bay Packers got a big old dub against the Rams. Uh, The Packers' game plan is interesting. We'll talk about that in a second, but just very basics from the game itself. This game just basically comes down to these two teams are very, very evenly matched, as we saw by the Rams trying to make that storm back at the very end. These two teams are really, really good. Both of them might meet up in the playoffs again, might meet up in the conference championship. They're two of the four or five best teams in the NFC, two of the four or five best teams in all of football, because this year I found out most of the teams we know are really, really good happen to be in the NFC. It's a an interesting pivot after 20 years of Brady and Manning and Mahomes and the occasional Joe Flacco. We know that the best teams are in the NFC. These are two of the five best teams. It was a must-watch game coming in. The Packers win. The reason the Packers win, Los Angeles Rams, five turnovers. Green Bay Packers, one turnover. It's that simple. Turnover margin is the difference in the game, and this has kind of been the reason to explain everything that has happened to the Los Angeles Rams over the last three weeks, where they lose on Sunday Night Football to the Titans without Derrick Henry at home, I might add. And the lasting image of that game, which again, this is simple to do it because obviously there's dozens and dozens of plays, but this one is the one that meant the most. So the lasting image this far into the season, 
Matthew Stafford falling to the ground, making that stupid throw to Kevin Byard that led to a pick six in a game that I believe finished 21-9. to Don't quote me on that, but I think it was something like that. And you had the, the dumb pick six by Matthew Stafford. Then you have the uh, Monday night game against the 49ers two weeks ago, so before the bye. The Rams got pretty much curb stomped all the way through that one. The 49ers did really well running the ball. Rams defense has been weird this year. I don't know good or bad. They've just been kind of weird so far this season. And so, yeah, the the Rams end up going through that stretch. Then they sign Odell Beckham and that's the whole talking point and they lose Robert Woods, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then of course they lose to the Packers, a game that they were not favored in, but also did felt like they were never really in it for a game that those two teams are still super evenly matched on paper regardless of how poorly the Rams have played recently or how well the Packers have or have not played with or without Aaron Rodgers. Those two teams are pretty much equal between the Rams and the Packers. We knew that coming in. We still know that walking out. And the difference in the game, just turnovers. The difference in this three-game stretch, just turnovers. Now, does that make the Rams vulnerable in the playoffs? Absolutely, that makes the Rams vulnerable in the playoffs. All it means is that the Rams weren't going to go 15-2 and or 16-1 and and be the dominant team all the way through the season because they've got the same turnover problems that plagued Patrick Mahomes, the turnover problems that plagued Josh Allen still. When you turn the ball over, that's when games start to swing in dramatic fashion because points are moving back and forth. This is how Aaron Rodgers on the flip side, who I guess this is the time to pat Aaron Rodgers on the back or give Aaron Rodgers his props because man Aaron Rodgers you forget just how good he is at football when he goes a primetime game against Arizona and doesn't really play that well and then he has his COVID thing well I shouldn't say COVID thing. his lying to us about COVID thing and you know actually getting COVID-19 and horse dewormers and Joe Rogan and all the stuff that we talked about a few weeks ago so Aaron Rodgers goes through that and Jordan Love plays against the Chiefs, and it's not entertaining football, even though it's interesting to see a glimpse of the Packers' future after Aaron Rodgers and all that stuff. We haven't really watched Aaron Rodgers or paid close attention to Aaron Rodgers in a few weeks in terms of like the actual Aaron Rodgers football play. And every now and then you just get reminded of just how good he is. This happens with Lamar Jackson a lot with me too where I'm, I go a while without watching a Ravens game, either because it's like mixed into the red zone or because they go on a bye or because they have like a six-week stretch where they're not playing on primetime. And I'm not like focusing on that game. But then I come back and I watch Lamar Jackson play and he just does things where I'm like, I football. I've watched thousands of football games in my life. Thousands of football games at this point. 256 every year in the NFL, if you want to start there. Thousands of football games. A lot of them, when you get to that point, are very, very similar. And watching Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers makes me watch and say, this is something that other people aren't doing. And Aaron Rodgers had that game against the Rams where there was a drive where he goes... 30-yard play to Randall Cobb, and then one where Devontae Adams beats a guy deep, and Aaron Rodgers, like, mid-stride, drops a pass to Devontae Adams down to, like, the seven-yard line. And there's another moment on the drive after that when they score where it's fourth down and two, and Rodgers, it looks like while, like, barely moving his head, like, obviously he's got peripheral vision going on there, and there's one play where he throws it to... It might have been Sternberger. I don't know if he's still there, but one of those white tight ends that they have throws Sternberger the ball, and what ends up happening, I think it was DeGuerra maybe. DeGuerra is a tight end for them. Anyway, so it's not important. It looks like Aaron Rodgers is like moving his head as the ball is at its release point. He's looking to where he's throwing it. Like, at the very last moment, his head and body turn, but the ball's already getting ready to release. And he threads it right between two defenders for the Rams and picks up a first down. And the drive ends with an A.J. Dillon touchdown. I think right after that was the pick six. This is in the third quarter for sure. Those are moments where I looked up, I'm like, God damn, Aaron Rodgers is really, really good at football, and I forget about that every now and then. And this is the thing I talk about all the time with appreciating greatness on the flip side, which is 
when you do the comparison science, it ends up diminishing the greatness of the player. And this is going to be a little bit of retreaded microwave takes, but we we diminish the greatness of one to elevate the greatness of another. And we've done this with Tom Brady a lot over the last six years as he wins all the championships because the Patriots are this winning dynasty that we didn't understand. And then he goes to the Bucks and wins, et cetera, et cetera. In the aftermath, we have diminished that Aaron Rodgers for the past 10 years has been the player of his generation. And to have a 10-year prolonged period of success like that is really rare in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers has made six NFC champ or five NFC championships and the one year where they were 15 and one. The best team he ever had didn't make the NFC championship. So that's essentially six NFC championship worthy teams. And my belief there is that There are four elite teams every year, basically, four or five elite teams, and once you get to a certain point deep in the playoffs, everyone is equally talented, they all have really good players, and the matchups are basically coin tosses, like it's just playing out the game to decide the result. You could flip a coin and have as good a chance of figuring out who's going to win in those situations, because the teams are just so evenly matched at a certain point. And Aaron Rodgers has just had like bad, bad luck late in these conference championship games. A few blowouts, no question. Like, they got blown out by the Falcons, fine. It's just a weird, fluky result. Lose in a blowout to the 49ers, where the 49ers didn't throw a pass for two hours of real-life time during that game. Fluky result, defense didn't hold up, etc. Just a weird finish for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is one for six in these situations, And it's a reason that people diminish the greatness. And even I forget about it every now and then when I'm not watching it. And all of this to say, I don't know how long Aaron Rodgers is going to continue to be great. But it was just a quick old reminder during that Rams-Packers game of just how damn good he is. And how funny Matt LaFleur can be sometimes. Because at one point, Matt LaFleur had an 8-minute and 13-second drive to start the game in the first quarter that ended in a punt. And still found a way to score 36 points in the next, like, two quarters after that. Part of it on a pick six, but, you know, 20 points real quick. I I think they had a touchdown off the the Stafford uh, fumble in the first quarter. So, like, right after the eight-minute punt, uh, Matthew Stafford got strip-sacked and they recovered and then scored a touchdown, like, right after that. And then they had a field goal and they had 20 points at halftime. And this was the whole thing we talked about earlier in the week about... Uh, the Packers being, what is it, Aaron Rodgers is like 71-2 and two at home when he has a lead at halftime, and Sean McVay when he has a lead at halftime is like 45-0, and 0, so something was going to have to give, and then Rodgers was up 20-17, to 17, but I was desperately, desperately hoping that the game was going to end up being a tie at halftime, and all of it was just weird and wacky and fun. Um, and then the second quarter of that game was just amazing football. And yeah, there were two muffed punts in there. Like Randall Cobb muffs a punt and it helps the Rams stay in the game. And the Rams offense at one point was two for four with nine yards. And Sean McVay, to his everlasting credit, he was making his case for the punting is for cowards club. Cause he had after the muffed punt, I'm sorry, not the muffed punt after the strip sack in the first quarter, fourth and inches at the 29-yard line, his own 29-yard line, and he went for it in the first quarter, the first quarter of the game. Sean McVay went for it on his own 29-yard line, and he didn't get it, and it just didn't matter because the Packers kick a field goal. Okay, three points. You know what he did after that? Well, he's two for four with nine yards early in the second quarter, 75-yard touchdown to Van Jefferson against the best defense in the NFL. I'm sorry, not best defense, best secondary in the NFL. Obviously, they were missing a bunch of people, and Rasul Douglas, who was picked up from the practice squad of the Cardinals, is now you know getting pick sixes on Matt Stafford. All of that, very funny. But still, to, the gall to go for it that late, or that early in the game, deep in your own territory, ballsy on Sean McVay and it just didn't matter because they just like it's a long game boom here's seven points right back boom here's Aaron Rodgers with a touchdown boom here's a touchdown from the Rams off of a muff punt by Randall Cobb boom field goal Packers boom field goal Rams 2017 at half 
were there barely any points in the first quarter? Yes, there were. Were all the points off of turnovers? Yes, they were. Didn't matter at all because it's just boom, points, points, points. All of that to say, there is only so much that that can overcome. And we talked about this with the Chiefs a few weeks ago. There's only so much that that type of offense can overcome, especially when you're matched up against a really good team like the Green Bay Packers, where the talent level is equal, those mistakes will be capitalized on more. When the Rams, prior to this game where they had five turnovers, before that, the Rams' largest turnover game was against the New York Giants. They won 38-11. to But the New York Giants are crap, so they didn't take advantage of the Rams committing turnovers. The Titans had the one pick six and then held the Rams offense the rest of the game and the Rams just played really poorly. But when the Rams offense is, you know, this good and that Titans game is just a weird fluke exception, we know the Rams offense is good. We've got like five years of sample with lesser players to prove that the Rams offense is really good. We all think Sean McVay is one of the smartest offensive coaches in the NFL. I don't know how to measure that, but the results are the results for the Rams. We know they have really talented players. We know they have a really talented offense. And even though they're losing games, they're still putting up ridiculously large amounts of points against a very, very good Packers secondary. All of that to say, when you have nine turnovers in three games and you have uh, a muffed punt, a strip sack of Matthew Stafford, a go for it on fourth down at your own 29-yard line and don't convert, and two interceptions, including a pick six, that's just too much to overcome. Two of those, you can overcome it, especially if you have a defense that generates turnovers, which the Rams kind of do, but we know the Rams have a strong defense, at least just by name recognition. It's just too much to overcome if you're going to put five turnovers, especially when the other team has really, really good players equal to yours that are able to capitalize on those mistakes. No shade at all there to the Los Angeles Rams or no shade to the Green Bay Packers. It's just both those teams are equal. I felt that way coming in. Nothing I saw in that game makes me feel different because it feels easy enough to explain how the Rams lost that game. And it's the same way the Rams have been losing games for pretty much the past three, four weeks. I mean, they had the bye mixed in there, so it kind of feels weird. But their last three games, they started 7-1. and one. Everyone said they were the best team in the NFL. Now they've lost three in a row. I still think they're maybe the best team in the NFL. Not as confident as I was before, and part of that is losing Robert Woods, and part of that is Matthew Stafford going to look more like the larger sample size of Matthew Stafford than first eight weeks of the season when Matthew Stafford's one of the front runners for MVP. Stafford is probably somewhere in the middle because of how talented the Rams offense is. He's only had like one offense in his entire career as talented as this Rams team. He's not like tier three quarterback like Baker Mayfield or the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan like we kind of expect him to be sometimes in Detroit, but he's not an MVP front runner. Stafford is somewhere in the middle and whichever version of Stafford shows up on any given day will probably help determine the result of the Rams. Is that a bit of a cop-out answer? Yes, it is. But we just don't know which Stafford's going to show up each week. And when we're talking about one-game sample sizes, which we aren't right now, but we will start talking about one-game sample sizes once we get to the playoffs, that is when the Stafford that shows up will be more interesting because if Stafford has five turnovers against the Giants we wipe it away as concerning when he has nine turnovers in three games that's when you start to realize that version of Stafford is probably not that bad but it's also not the MVP that most people saw at the start of the year that made them almost guarantee that the Rams would make it out of the NFC including myself about four weeks ago and I still feel like the Rams will probably be in the conference championship and the only reason they won't is just by the way the luck of the draw works where they play you know the Packers in the divisional round instead of playing them in the conference championship or they play the Bucks instead of playing uh, Dallas or playing Arizona or whatever the situation may be just by luck of the draw they might not make it the Packers are an elite team the Rams are an elite team the Chiefs are an elite team and the Buccaneers are an elite team. Cardinals and uh, Cardinals and Cowboys, we're still figuring it out. 
But we know that those are elite teams, and we know that they're all really good. The Rams' concern is just turnovers. And did it take 20 minutes to explain what's wrong with the Rams? Summed it up pretty much in, like, the first two. Rams just got to minimize the turnovers, which they'll do over a long sample size. That offense is, I mean, even if they're the anti-Rams offense this year, that offense is designed to protect them that way where when things go south, they can always just go to run, eat up the clock, et cetera, et cetera, even if that's not the Rams team that's played this year. We've seen them do it for a longer sample than we've seen them playing bad. Therefore, it is fair to suggest that this is either a regression to the mean or that they will progress to whatever their mean might be over a larger sample size. But if we want to talk about the itty-bitty Rams-Packers head-to-head that will meet up in the playoffs... That's a more complex and complicated conversation about figuring out which version of the Rams is going to show up. And a lot of that is matchup based and things that we're just going to have to wait until January to figure out. I love playing that T-Pain fight song that was made in 2008, which is a remix of a 1970s Dolphins anthem, and they've now won four games in a row, which means we should probably sing the song ourselves a cappella here. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. They'll take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. We're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Jalen Waddle, 137 yards and a touchdown to Atagovailoa, completing over 75% of his passes. Ah, what a beautiful day to be a Miami Dolphin. I know that we sometimes just play this song to transition back and forth between games, but I do actually want to talk about the uh, Miami Dolphins here. And what I want to talk about is the Tua Waddle situation because Tua Tagovailoa has had a weird season. And it was interesting in players in their second year, especially with um, his draft class and Burrow and Herbert, where after a ba- Jalen Hurts too, we'll throw Jalen Hurts in the mix there, even though we'll talk about him on memes of the weekend. But it feels like we have a pretty good idea after two years of sample, roughly how good these players are. You know, coming into last year, we didn't really know who was going to be what. And this happens in every draft class. Like everyone thought Zach Wilson was going to be, you know, at least a top three rookie this year. And Zach Wilson has not played like even a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. It's a really weird thing. Sometimes it happens in the draft process and the development process because players get better through two years. So now that we're two years in, or in the case of Joe Burrow, a 22-game sample, Herbert, a 26-game sample, Jalen Hurts, about a 17-game sample, and for Tua Tagovailoa, a 20-ish game sample. Now that we're this far into their careers, we can start to make evaluations. And I feel like we've made pretty strong evaluations about Joe Burrow and uh, Justin Herbert. Both of those guys are at least tier three quarterbacks and stepping up. We'll talk obviously about those games a little bit later, but the interesting thing with Tua, and this is again the Dolphins being irrelevant this season, but still being a fascinating story, is we know what Tua isn't at this point in his career. Because if Tua were to have 
a Kirk Cousins type of arm or a Josh Allen type of arm or a Russell Wilson type of fade pass or something that makes him stand out relative to his peers, we would have seen it within 20 games. Even the flashes of it. Even if it's not all the way there, like with Mac Jones where we see the flashes and he has like 350 yards but it's only been eight games, or Trevor Lawrence where he hasn't played great but you see the flashes, you see him making the routines, you see him making the athletic plays, Uh, even with Justin Fields who has not had a great year but you see him on fourth and two reverse field and score a touchdown from 15 yards out scrambling, like you see it there. With Tua, you haven't even seen a glimpse of some of that stuff. And so, we know what Tua Tagovailoa isn't, and at the same time, we don't know what he is as a quarterback, which puts him historically, when we do this tiers list of quarterbacks, in the too early to tell category, but the too early to tell category is complicated because too early to tell mixes a lot of different kinds of too early to tell. For example... Justin Herbert last year was in too early to tell camp. Obviously, he only played 15 games. We knew he played really well, one rookie of the year, but we didn't know exactly what he was. Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones were also in that group. And putting Justin Herbert and Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones in the same group feels disingenuous when doing the analysis. And so I'm thinking about this now, and what do we do with quarterbacks where with Justin Herbert... We know what Justin Herbert is not. And that might just be Tua Tagovailoa. We know Justin Herbert is not a bad quarterback. We know he's not a fringe starter. But we don't know exactly how good Justin Herbert can be because Justin Herbert's not done developing yet. Joe Burrow, same thing. We know what Joe Burrow is not. We know Joe Burrow is not someone who the Bengals are looking to replace. They're someone who they'd like to extend. He's made big moments this year. He's going to be top 15 in passing yards this year. All of that. We know what Joe Burrow is, but or is we know what he is not, but we don't know exactly what he is. Two is the same way, but it works in reverse, where the the know what he is not is overwhelmingly negative things. It's like he hasn't hit certain bars of being good, and we don't think he can hit those bars of being a Tier 3 quarterback. But we don't know exactly what Tua Tagovailoa is going to be later on in his career, and it's too simplistic to try and guess now. But then you look at the game today against, you know, admittedly a Carolina team that's not that good. Uh, I tried to warn y'all at the start of the year that they weren't actually as good as the record suggested they were, even if they got a bogus playoff spot, which they will not now because that franchise is perpetually mediocre. That team gave Tua Tagovailoa a a quote-unquote signature performance of sorts. And Tua's been through a lot of injuries this year, so the Tua conversation hasn't been around as much, but he completed, I said over 75% before, it was actually over 80% of his passes today from Tua Tagovailoa, 27 for 31, 230 yards, game manager type stuff, only eight and a half yards per completion, the one touchdown uh, to Jalen Waddell being in there, and a 108 passer rating. So Tua was asked to do game manager stuff and yet did it really, really well. And the Dolphins ran as a team for over 100 yards with Philip Lindsay, who is apparently a Miami Dolphin now, and Miles Gaskin having the two touchdowns. The Dolphins did everything right to game manage their way through and their defense doing just enough because, boy, Cam Newton looked like he was a struggling 5.8 passer rating today from Cam Newton, which is just dreadful and the defense picked up just enough and so when they asked Tua to game manage in like the the cliche way we think of Teddy Bridgewater but Teddy Bridgewater isn't quite even this I think of it a little bit like Fitzmagic but Fitzmagic is opening up the field a bit all of that to say they asked him to game manage and he did a really really good job doing it which is fine because that's all they were asking him to do, but it does propose the question of, well, if we know he's not this in general, then how do we evaluate Tua Tagovailoa in the context of being a fringe starting quarterback, a quarterback the Dolphins want to keep around, a quarterback the Dolphins want to upgrade against, whatever it might be, how do we do that evaluation? And so Tua ends up 
playing really, really good today. It's a performance that we can walk away and feel good about for him, especially in a season where he's battled injuries and the Dolphins have won four straight. Now for Jalen Waddle, which is a really interesting case. Jalen Waddle played awesome. Jalen Waddle played awesome awesome today and this is something I was thinking about off the top because the weird thing the Dolphins have done is as they've game managed Tua they've basically made Jalen Waddle into what Jarvis Landry was on the Dolphins and Jarvis Landry ends up being a, a pro bowler for the Dolphins breaks records for most receptions as a first four years but his entire time in Miami it felt like he was like seven catches for 35 yards like he's just used for receptions and just moving the ball basically like a running game using the pass like the run with Jarvis Landry and that's totally fine like Jarvis Landry's a very very good player and he reinvented himself once he got to the Browns what's interesting from this standpoint for Miami is if Jalen Waddle is Jarvis Landry which is a multi-time Pro Bowl wide receiver was it worth giving up the two first-round picks for? Because this is where Jalen Waddle is going to be judged for a good portion of his career, for better or for worse, is that they had to give up the number 12 pick in the draft and whatever draft pick they end up with this year going to Philadelphia to get Jalen Waddle. As I started to think about it, I instinctively was like, ha, this is a terrible job. Look at this meme. And as I thought about it further, I'm like, draft picks are valuable are more valuable when you think of them as draft picks versus after they're used because it's such a crapshoot in trying to figure out whether players are good or not. Case in point, last year we were talking all the time about the Baltimore Ravens trading their first round pick for a solid wide receiver. At the time we said Michael Thomas. Would that have worked out? Probably not because Michael Thomas missed the entire season with injuries. But that pick that we were talking about them trading Michael Thomas for became Rashad Bateman and if I ask is Michael Thomas worth a first round pick and then ask is Michael Thomas worth Rashad Bateman I think you're getting two very very different answers which is the interesting point when we get to the Dolphins which is if you're giving up Jalen Waddle, is Jalen Waddle worth two first round picks versus the flip side which is is a wide receiver who could make a Pro Bowl in the future and be a very solid number one worth two first-round picks. And this makes the conversation more interesting. It's obviously too soon to figure out, but we do kind of have enough of a sample size to kind of figure out what Jalen Waddle is going to be, which is a solid wide receiver one, not an elite wide receiver by any stretch of the imagination. We've seen it with Jamar Chase real quick into the season, just taking the top off people, and we've seen... Devonta Smith be in position to go for a thousand yards his rookie year so we know he's not that but at the same time we know he's also a legitimate number one receiver for a team that you know their offense isn't great but that makes him already a top 25 wide receiver in the NFL in his rookie year Maybe that's the best he ever gets to. Maybe he'll get better. Who knows? We, we, assume, we assume like just because people get older, they'll get better. That's not always the case. So maybe this is the best Waddle is and then, you know, something doesn't go his way. But at least for now, he's a top 25 wide receiver. And that's pretty good. It's not great when you think about giving up the two first round picks. But if he were to get to that top 10 range at any point in his career, because Jarvis Landry is someone who you can name 10 receivers better than him, but at the same time, we, we, we may call him a top 10 receiver at one point in his career. Is that worth giving up two first-round picks, especially given the Dolphins' track record of drafting first-round picks quite poorly with the 32nd-ranked offensive line in the NFL this year? Maybe. Maybe not. It's an interesting conversation, isn't it? And it's a fascinating time for the Dolphins, because this is all you have left to hang your hat on for this season. Because as much as the four straight wins are fun, you ain't making the playoffs. So you can keep banking on this development for this Tua Waddle connection. We kind of know what it isn't going to be. And the problem for that is it isn't going to be what other teams have. And is that good enough for a perpetually mediocre franchise that has not made the playoffs since this magical song was created back in 2008?
So does anyone know how good Carson Wentz is at football? Because I feel like we should like stop pretending that any of us know what the deal is with Carson Wentz. Uh, one of the jokes that I made over on Take It Easy Pod's Instagram uh, for NFL Sunday uh, is that Carson Wentz has now gone from being an MVP to an injury-prone star, then average, inaccurate, the worst contract in the NFL, traded, above average, the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, at least in terms of not turning the ball over, and better than Tom Brady all within four years. Like, it's been a wild ride for Carson Wentz at this point. I just don't know how good Carson Wentz is anymore. Nobody knows. Let's stop pretending like we know how good Carson Wentz is. Because at halftime, you would have said Carson Wentz is back. 192 yards of 18 for 21. Two touchdowns. No, three touchdowns. No picks. Passer rating of like 136. Carson Wentz on the season is average uh, or above average by league passer rating numbers. He's sitting around 94. League average is 91. Carson Wentz was doing great, and then the second half happened, and the Bucks outscored him 24 to seven. Carson Wentz looked kind of average and finished with an 86 passer rating. After that start to the game, he finished nine for 22, 120 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions really have no idea how good Carson Wentz is at football. His splits are pretty freaking incredible. I think that's something that should become a meme, but Carson Wentz, really, really weird. Don't know what to do with it at this point. Tampa Bay, they're a machine. Tom Brady might win MVP, and that feels like a total cop-out on our part, because Tom Brady has been playing basically like Carson Wentz for the last month of the season, and the Bucks are still finding a way to get by, because Leonard Fournette had 131 yards and four touchdowns against the Colts defense. If you're the Colts, you got to be feeling like good about yourselves, but not great. It's a weird way to feel, but it's been a successful season. Like there's no reason to feel bad about what's going on. But at the same time, you know, you guys are only good enough to get maybe to the wild card. And I just wish Andrew Luck could have been there so that the Colts fans don't have to go through the Carson Wentz experience. It was like Colts fans were going through heartbreak for like two years where Jacoby Brissett was like their, you know, their supportive friend. They they knew they were doing their best, but it was an impossible situation to walk through. And, and they kind of understood that. And then they got the safe option of Phillip Rivers, just a nice guy to to kind of keep everything together. You know, it's it's a slight upgrade. We had time to process everything. Just someone who who feels things out. It's a rebound. You know, Jacoby Brissett was the friend who was there to help support you. Philip Rivers was your rebound. And now they're just going right into the Carson Wentz experience. And now they're like, oh no, what have we done? We're like, we thought we were ready to start dating again. We thought we were ready for this. And then no, it's just the Carson Wentz experience of, oh my gosh, he's got 150 yards and three touchdowns against Tom Brady. Oh my gosh. And then, oh no, nine for 22. Uh, it's it's just a wildly sporadic experience that is emotionally manipulative to Colts fans, and I don't think those little Midwestern boys are ready for it. I th- I think they thought they were ready for it when when they went through the rebound of Philip Rivers. They thought they could upgrade, and it's probably an upgrade just in terms of like general life enjoyment. Like it, it's keeping you stable. It's I mean it's I mean it's keeping you unstable, but at least you're feeling something again after three years. You're finally feeling something again. You're finally feeling like you can rebound and it's just wildly sporadic and you don't know what to do and you feel like you're in over your head and oh no, where is our first round pick going now? Yeah, the Carson Wentz experience is a wild ride and I don't think Colts fans are prepared for it as they recover from the Andrew Luck heartbreak. That was supposed to be a funny analogy. I hope it worked. Anyways, Chargers offense is broken, isn't it? It's kind of weird, huh? Chargers offense is totally broken. For those who may or may not know, and it might be a little easier because there were only three afternoon games, but the Chargers played the Broncos on Sunday, and uh, the Denver Broncos got to 6-5 and five by like thoroughly dominating the Chargers for most of the game. Justin Herbert did not play very good. He had a pick six to close out the game, I remember that. Uh, he was the leading rusher for the Chargers a week after Austin Eckler had four touchdowns. Chargers offense looks kind of broken and we kind of knew at the start of the year that the Chargers defense was not that good they've been pretty unremarkable this year really bad at stopping the run too 
And I don't even know if that one's so much injuries more than the Chargers have just tried to make improvements and they just don't have a cohesive unit, I guess. It's been a weird year for the Chargers where people looked at the names and they were like, okay, this is a, this is a pretty good team. And then you kind of like dig further and it's like, oh, they, they can't really stop people that much. The Chargers this year are ranked, let's find them on this DVOA list. The Chargers are currently ranked 20th in the NFL in team defense. They are 30, no, they are 28th in the league in rushing defense this season. So it's been a rough go for the Chargers. And you look at the teams below them, it's, well, Cleveland, which is a weird one, but it's uh, Denver and Baltimore and Detroit, Jacksonville, Atlanta, Washington, the Jets. It's been a, it's been a rough stretch for the Chargers. They're in a category with like Seattle and Philadelphia. Like it has not been a good run for the Chargers defense this year. And so when the offense isn't doing the thing that got them to four and one and made everyone think the Chargers have officially arrived, now the Chargers look kind of average, which is about where. We thought that they were going to be at the start of the year, which is convoluted and complicated, and at the same time, it's about what we thought the Chargers were. I don't know how to explain the Chargers' offense being broken other than exactly the same way the Chiefs' offense was broken. Play double high safeties, take away Mike Williams, Chargers don't have enough weapons on offense because after Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and Mike Williams, guess who was their leading receiver? You guessed incorrectly. It was, uh, it was according to this, uh, someone named Jay Palmer. I do not know who Jay Palmer is. My guess is Josh Palmer. I do not know if that is his actual name. Uh, he does not have a profile, it would appear. So Jay Palmer was the, uh, was the fourth leading target for the Chargers. Chargers might lose Mike Williams in free agency. I don't know how they can do that. Chargers need to draft some receivers in the draft because it's a lot of Jalen Guyton's after that. So let's see. Keenan Allen had 10 targets. Eckler, 8. Williams, 8. That's 26 targets. Uh, Justin Herbert threw the ball today uh, 44 times. So that means over, well, 28 completions, which is funny enough. 28 for 44 is about 60%. 60% of the targets for the Chargers went to either Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, or Mike Williams, that's going to make it quite easy for a defense to contain, especially because Mike Williams hasn't been very good. Trust me, I put him on my bench in fantasy this week. It was a fun four-week stretch for Mike Williams. He's back to being the Mike Williams we used to think he was, which is someone the Chargers didn't extend last offseason when they had a chance and will probably let walk in free agency this year. Chargers need to draft maybe two receivers in the draft, draft a tight end in the third round, sign someone other than Mike Williams, maybe go sign like a Josh Reynolds or go sign a, I don't know, like a Sterling Shepard. Maybe trade your fourth round pick for a solid wide receiver. Chargers, this is again, this is a next offseason thing for them, but Chargers just need more weapons around Justin Herbert. Now you've, you've finally got Anthony Lynn out of there. You've done not well with fixing the defense. Now you need more weapons around Justin Herbert. I don't know if the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. They might. They seem to be kind of in this middle tier of like average teams, and average might be good enough to sneak into the playoffs, especially because they have a win over the Chiefs. But there are a lot of like roster based flaws that aren't going to be able to be addressed in the next like six weeks of the season. The way they make the playoffs is that magical being with the golden locks just hits another level that we've seen him hit a few times in his career and carries them to a sixth seed in the AFC playoffs. It gives me better hope than the other teams that are fighting for that last playoff spot, which is Pittsburgh. Did you see what Cincinnati did to them today? Cincinnati just straight throttled them. Cincinnati's probably also right there for that last playoff spot. Again, it's like two teams fight or six teams fighting for two spots. I won't do the Mixies award show here. We'll save that for Wednesday, but the point being like the Bengals look better than the Chargers and they might be fighting for the same playoff spot. The Steelers were right there with the Chargers last week and then they got pummeled. Their defense is falling apart. Doesn't seem to be a great situation for them. And uh, the Colts, who we just talked about a second ago. Of those options, I like the Chargers the best just because they've got that man with the golden locks. And again, we talked about this all year with the Chargers, and I will reemphasize it again because it still applies. 
if you go back to the start of the year and tell Chargers fans, you're going to make the playoffs. That would have been a huge victory based on expectations. The problem was just when they started 4-1, and one, the expectations went up way too quickly. And now that the Chargers are 6-5 and five and have gone 2-4 and four over the last six games, you readjust expectations a little bit and realize, yeah, this roster kind of sucks. Outside of that magical golden-armed quarterback, roster kind of sucks. Need some more weapons. Need to improve their run defense. Good offensive line. They fixed that problem over the offseason. That's good. Now you got to fix all the other problems the Chargers had that put them in a position to sign Justin Herbert in the first place. Harry Douglas, Arthur Blank, Dante Fowler, Michael Vick, Devin Hester Hayden, Hurston Caleb McGarry. Tack McKinley, Deion Sanders, Michael Turner, Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper, Tevin Coleman, Tony Gonzalez. Warwick Dunn, Brent Grimes, Kyle Pitts, Des Turfont, Left Witch, Julio, Mascot Has Creepy Eyes, Darren Holland, KZ, Maddie won an MVP, AJ Terrell, Duron Harmon, Russell Gage, Vic Beasley, we're the Atlanta Falcons. We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads, but we try to fight it. Steven Jackson, Jalen Mayfield, Dan Quinn, and Shanahan, Jeff, George, Jake, Matthews, Fabian, Moreau, Mike Davis, Ito Smith, Devonta Freeman's Pro Bowl, Jockeys, Rogers, Asante, Samuel, Young Way, Dean Pease, Mike Smith had a winning team, Henry Crockett, Petrino, Calvin Ridley, Jaden Graham, Deion Jones, Tajay Sharp, Daryl is a running back, Chris Lindstrom, D'Angelo Hall, some dude named Zacchaeus, we're the Atlanta Falcons. We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads, but we try and fight it. Dirty Bird, bring it back. Roddy White and Alex Mack, Alford, Luke McCown, Super Bowl prostitutes, Justin Hardy, Matt Shaw, Atlanta Braves, baseball beat with an onside kick. Dirt Cutter's an idiot. Corey Peters, Richie Grant, Chris Chandler, Paul Warlow, Lee Smith, Jay Brown, Super Bowl's a no-go, Sunu, Brooks, Reed, Mike Pinnell, Matt Hennessy, Dwight Creamy, Toy Lolo, don't score that ball, Todd Gurley. We're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads and we try to fight it. Yeah, I think that uh, that two-minute song to We Didn't Start the Fire of Atlanta Falcons players across the last 20 to 25 years should be the entire analysis from the Atlanta Falcons-Jacksonville Jaguars game, uh, apart from the fact that Matt Ryan threw a pass to Mike Davis that went over his head by four feet, even though he was uh, about five yards away and untouched. It was a very weird play for the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan, but as much as we joke about the rotting corpse of Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan did indeed play pretty well this week. I will give Matt Ryan the little bit of props that he deserved. He put up slightly better numbers than uh, uh, Justin Herbert. He just happened to play the Jaguars. Jaguars covered the spread. Good, or sorry, Jaguars almost covered the spread. Good job, Jaguars, for putting up a little bit of fight towards the end. In terms of Jaguars analysis, I'll say the same thing that uh, I've been saying for the past six weeks when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is fire Daryl Bevel. No reason not to at this point. Just go ahead and fire Daryl Bevel. Been saying it for seven weeks. It will be the theme of the Jaguars for the rest of 2021. Please stop ruining Trevor Lawrence and just fire Daryl Bevel. I don't understand why he was hired in the first place. He has proven to be quite poor ever since. Yeah, we can just kind of move on from that whole experiment. Even if you're going to keep Urban Meyer, you can just go ahead and fire Daryl Bevel at this point. It's pretty much set in stone. We don't need to keep pretending that is a good idea for anyone. Um, Yeah, I think that wins forgettable game of the week. I know that's something we do more on memes of the weekend, but every now and then there's just one game where I don't have a joke, I don't have analysis, the teams are pretty bad, season's over for both of them, this was that game. 
just pretty forgettable. Vikings games are stupid, aren't they? Vikings games are all just so stupid. And I had the Vikings plus three this week, which is unfortunate. But uh, welcome back, Kirk Cousins. I know you only had two interceptions the whole season, but two big ones at the very end this week. Uh, it was fun while it lasted, huh, Kirk? <laughs> Enjoying that you know, that return to Kirk Cousins purgatory this week. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more on memes of the weekend. But this game was interesting because it was a lot of Elijah Mitchell for the 49ers, which I guess is the new version of that running back uh, that the 49ers have interchanged for years. I know Jeff Wilson was there too, but what's interesting is Debo Samuel. And I know Debo Samuel was getting a lot of props for his running game in this one. And he didn't have a big receiving day, but no one on the 49ers did because Jimmy Garoppolo played kind of average. I know we say that for a lot of quarterbacks, but Jimmy Garoppolo literally had a 91 passer rating, which is exactly the NFL league average. So Jimmy Garoppolo played an average game, which he salvaged towards the end. Like, I know they scheme around Jimmy Garoppolo sometimes to help win games. They did it against the Rams. They did it here against Minnesota. It's the thing that's probably going to help the 49ers get to the playoffs because now they've got a three-game win streak. It is really interesting to watch the 49ers play football because they've been scheming around this. And what's so fascinating is Trey Lance is still just sitting there at this point as they fight desperately for the six or seven seed. It's, it's just a weird time for the 49ers. There's reports that they're going to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason, which is, you know, duh. And the 49ers find themselves in a place where they were scheming around it. But the 49ers offense is really fun to watch because it's an interesting thought experiment in football, which is when you play to your personnel, who do you go to the most? And in this game, obviously, George Kittle wasn't really a factor. The passing attack wasn't a factor except for the one big play to Brandon Ayuk which is the longest reception of his career except for the preseason one he had with Trey Lance, which was one of the worst blown coverages I've ever seen, and we've talked about that before on the podcast. But bringing it back to Debo Samuel, like Debo has been in an interesting place for a few years now because Debo is regarded as this number one receiver on a team where George Kittle is the number one threat. And I think the simplest answer to that is just having multiple threats will improve your offense. Debo Samuel's probably going to get another extension, one of the like seven or eight 49ers that are going to be extended here over the next two years and year before this. Like I know Bosa is going to get an extension and Fred Warner just got one and Trent Williams just got one. And there's going to be more people that get extensions. Kittle obviously has his in the books. And the 49ers basically in in a salary-saving move went for Trey Lance, and now they're going to surround him in the next couple of years with Debo and whatever is left of George Kittle as his body breaks down the way a lot of these tight ends do, because George Kittle never goes out of bounds. And so the 49ers have been this interesting team with Debo Samuel taking a brunt of the carries this week, and he had the one long one that we all remember, but using Debo Samuel in the rushing attack, especially as a team that wants to dominate time of possession, I find to be quite fascinating on the part of the San Francisco 49ers. And so Debo has been an interesting thought experiment. He got a lot of praise this week, and I don't know how much of it was fair or how much was not, but it's an interesting year for Debo Samuel. He's obviously broken out as a number one receiver, dual threat guy, similarly to how I know we mentioned him a lot earlier. Jarvis Landry was, even though Debo Samuel, I think, is a more complete receiver. I think of it a lot like Robert Woods. Debo Samuel reminds me a lot of like Robert Woods a couple years ago, where in his breakout, we thought about the limitless potential of what Debo Samuel is. And I look at him and I'm like, okay, he does a lot of different things. You can use him as an end around running back. He's a yards after catch guy. But at the same time, I don't think Debo Samuel is going to be like significantly better than what he is right now, which is like we talked about with the Jarvis Landry, Jalen Waddle thing earlier. When you're listing a list of top 10 receivers, he might not be in the top 10, but he's someone we regard as top 10 every now and then when he has a really good season. And that's a victory for the 49ers because they spent like a second round pick flyer on him. Weren't sure if he was going to be really good. Brought in Dante Pettis, uh, drafted Brandon Ayuk. Traded for uh, Emmanuel Sanders during the Super Bowl season. Like, they weren't sold entirely on what he was going to be. And they've turned that into quite a victory here. Trading up to get Ayuk and that being a bit of a bust. Obviously, we mentioned the, the moves they made earlier. 
If Debo Samuel is anything as good as he is right now for a prolonged period of time, that's a big ol' victory for the 49ers, especially as they start to invest in the young quarterback. And last but certainly not least, we have Sunday Night Football between the Browns and the Ravens. And for those who don't know, sometimes we weave Sunday Night Football into the regular podcast. Sometimes I just record the Memes of the Weekend podcast and some of the NFL Monday if I really get lazy during Sunday Night Football. And sometimes I don't watch Sunday Night Football. This was one of those nights I did not watch Sunday Night Football. But I do know the stat at the very end because I watched Garbage Time of a 16-10 to dud between the Ravens and Browns that... Lamar Jackson is the first quarterback since 2014 to throw four interceptions in a game and still win said game. Four picks. Last time that happened, conference championship between Russell Wilson and the Green Bay Packers. You remember that game where the uh, guy muffed the onside kick, Russell Wilson scored, and then had a 50-yard two-point conversion where he threw it across the field and the Seahawks won to go to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Last time, someone threw four interceptions and won. Last week, Ryan Tannehill threw four interceptions and the Titans lost to the Texans. The Texans, the worst team in the NFL that proved that I was totally right about the Titans not being legit. All of that to say, that is the same problem that is currently plaguing the Baltimore Ravens against the Cleveland Browns, and they still ended up winning. Why? Because the Cleveland Browns offense was ineffective against against the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens defense has a couple of these games in them every year. It's keeping them afloat, even though the Ravens defense has been remarkably average this year. It's not the elite defensive units we're used to out of Baltimore, but they've been okay at times this year. We always just assume Baltimore has a good defense, but Baltimore doesn't always have a good defense. This is one of those games. Defense bailed out Lamar Jackson, which is good because Lamar Jackson's offense ain't bailing him out anytime this year because, as we talked about before, Ronnie Stanley, most impactful injury in the NFL this year. No J.K. Dunn. I mean, they've literally got the 2015 Pro Bowl team at running back with Devonta Freeman and now cut Le'Veon Bell. I lost Gus Edwards, lost to J.K. Dobbins, of course, early in the season. Baltimore really, really does need any help they can get from their defense, and this is one of those games where Lamar Jackson played okay kind of poorly because of the four interceptions his QBR is going to plummet because of that but when you have lots of interceptions in that way it does set up losing obviously since no one's won in seven years without having four inter- with having four interceptions at the same time Lamar Jackson one of his worst games but also he's weird because he can be a threat in the running game which he was in getting to those 16 points Baker Mayfield kind of game managed his way in it was an ineffective game managing too like I know we praised Tua earlier in the podcast for his game managing but the Baker game managing was just not it it was they we were not having it during that one so yeah the Baltimore Ravens 0-52 quarterbacks that have thrown uh four interceptions or more in a game and still won you know uh how many that comes out to if it's been seven years since we had such a game that means about seven and a half times a year Once every two weeks in a season does a quarterback throw four interceptions in a game, and Lamar Jackson was the quarterback for these two weeks. Technically, Tannehill did it last week, but this is a rough average. It means that there might be two or three weeks without having a quarterback throw four interceptions. Might mean someone will throw two interceptions next week. It's all about an average. Means don't necessarily apply that way, but... Once every two weeks, which comes out to once every 30 games, or, or yeah, once every 30 games, a quarterback throws four more interceptions. They always lose, except Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens against a 6-6 six and six depleted, injured Cleveland Browns team. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the NFL Monday pod here on Take It Easy. Check out the Memes of the Weekend pod as well. It is available anywhere and everywhere that you get podcasts. It's literally right above this one. If you just listen to the Memes of the Weekend pod before this, keep it rolling to listen to Wired Up 96 for the college football breakdown. If you listen to all three of those podcasts, I love you. From the bottom of my heart, I love you if you listen to all three of those podcasts. With that being said, download, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Thank you to our partners at Bet Online Sportsbook, and thank you to all of you. 
who continue to support us day in, day out, week, month, whatever it is. We got a record-setting month this month, 6,000 downloads and counting. Appreciate each and every one of you. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Take it easy.